0: If you're at the uh, service on Ash Wednesday, you'll remember that this Lent time we're going to be looking together at the I Am sayings of Jesus. When Moses, back in the book of Exodus, remember when he went to the burning bush and he stood there before God in the bush, and God said, you're going to go and you're going to release my people. And he said to the bush, to who was talking to him, he said, God, who, who shall I say sent me? And God said to him, say, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me. And in John's Gospel we read that Jesus seven times uses that same I am to describe himself. And during Lent we're going to go through those seven and look at them together. And reflect on them. And as we reflect on Jesus, we will hold him up as a kind of a mirror to ourselves to look at where we are before him in our relationship with him. So as we do that, let us pray. Lord, as we come to your word today, as we recognize who you are and who we are before you, as we embark on this journey together, we ask that you would speak to us. Search me and know me. Examine my life and my heart, my mind, everything that I am. And Lord, help me to see myself as we go through Lent for who I am and what I need to do to become more like you. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Christ. Amen. (laughs) If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter six. John chapter six, because here Jesus says the familiar words, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty." But before we get to those verses, if we look at the beginning of John chapter six, Jesus has Brought his disciples together, and here in John six, at the beginning, he goes up that hillside in Galilee, and he starts preaching the good news of the kingdom to the people. And he's there all day long, and he's there so long that he suddenly says, he turns to his disciples, says, "Well, they need something to eat. They've been here starving all day long." Jesus says, "You give them something to eat." And they said, "There's like five thousand guys here, loads and loads of people. We've got nothing." And he does the miracle where he transforms those fish and the bread and he feeds all those people. And then it says in verse 15 of John 6, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again into the hills by himself. People saw this amazing thing that Jesus did. And they said, this is the guy, so let's, let's get him to be our king. And so Jesus withdrew up into the hills. And while he did that... Then the disciples got in a boat and went back over onto the other side of the lake. And you remember the the storm came up and they suddenly see Jesus zipping it across on the water. It would be kind of handy, wouldn't it, if you could do that. But there he is and he says, don't be, uh, be afraid, it's me. And he got into the boat and the wind died down. And we pick it up on verse 24 and it says this. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So they, they crossed over to the other side where Jesus had gone. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, "Rabbi, when did you get here?" So you see the picture. Jesus kind of escapes from the crowd. He goes over there. but they sort of looking around, where is he gone, Let's go find him." And so they go and they search for him. This is the high point, if you like, of Jesus' popularity. They're all looking for him. He's the guy that everybody wants to be seen with, everybody wants to go and see. He's the guy that's, that's, that's the talk of everything. When you wake up in the morning, over breakfast, Jesus was the conversation piece. He was the one that everybody would be chatting about. And here he's right at the very high point of everything. He is the centre, the focus of attention. But skip down to verse 66 in your Bibles. Just at the other end of the chapter. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In that same chapter, at the start, you've got Jesus as being the high point, And at the end of the same chapter, they're all turning away and leaving him. And you're kind of going like, well, what happened in the middle for that radical transformation, that turnaround of everybody from being the guy that everybody, they would even go rowing across a lake to go find him. This is a big, you know, this is not just, we're not talking about uh, one of the little ponds around here. We're talking about a serious amount of effort to go find him. They're willing to do that, but at the end, They're going to turn around and just leave, walk away. What was the difference? Well, let's go back and we'll see a little while what happened. You see, there were four types of people that were following Jesus that we see in the passage that we're going to read. Four different kinds of people. First one is this look at verse 26. Verse 25, they found him, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. The first group of people that were following Jesus were the materialists. They wanted a free handout. They saw that Jesus could feed them by just taking a couple of fish, a few loaves, transforms it. And they were the kind of people that said, you know what, this is awesome. He's going to give us a free handout. Don't you love when you get something for nothing? I mean, we all were very sceptical these days and go, there's got to be strings attached here. Nobody ever gives you something for nothing. It's interesting when we go door to door with the prayer cards and people come to the door and go, what do you want? And we go, we just wondered if you'd like us to pray for you. And you can see in their minds, they're going like, well, people don't do this. People don't come to the door and say, I'm going to offer to pray for you without, like, do you want to be paid for this? Like, do you want something? It was like when we had the, do you remember a few years ago when we did the, the Christmas thing with the donkey and we walked all the way into the town and we'd set up the stable that we have outside the, the Royal Oak and we did the, you know, I, was, I had to walk with the bucket because council said if the donkey dropped something somebody's got to be responsible to shovel it up. So I had a bucket with a little shovel, right? So there I was walking along just praying that the donkey would hold it all inside. And we walking, and then people started putting money in the bucket. I said, What are you doing? And they said, Well, aren't you collecting for something? Like, why would you do this big pageant with a donkey and Mary and Joseph and all that without collecting? I said, No, this, well, I am collecting, but not money, you know. Because we're just not used to somebody giving something for nothing. And here these guys were, Jesus suddenly, free handout guys, it's free food as much as you want. And they go to the other side of the lake going, you know, we're onto a good thing here. If he can do that with a couple of fish and some loaves, just think what he can give us. And they want more and more and more. Well, he can do it with food. Why can't he do it against the Romans? Where where will his power stop? Let's force him to become king. Let's put him there in that position where he's going to give us what we want. That's materialism. Missionaries speak of the difficulty so often. When you're doing mission work, when you're doing things, of actually recognizing when true believers come, when people really make a confession of faith. They call them rice Christians. You know, you set up a school and you say to them, well, if you become a Christian, you can come to school. You know, how many people over here in the churches, and particularly the Anglican and the Catholic churches, are there because they want their children in school? There's no transformation that's gone on inside of them. I was talking to an Anglican colleague of mine the other day, just yesterday, saying the difficulty of that system They're there because they want their child in school. And so they'll come and they'll sing and they'll give and they'll, they'll do all the things they need to do. But there's no change inside. There's no transformation that's going on. They're there because there's a reason for them to be there. What's in it for me? I'll do this because I want to get the things I want to get. And Jesus, when he sees their hearts, what does he say to them? He says, you've come because you saw this miracle. Not just because of the miracle, you've come because you had your fill. Because you've eaten and you were satisfied and you want more. But he says, I can give you the food that endures to eternal life. Which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father, has placed His seal of approval. He's saying... You're just coming for surface stuff. I can give you stuff that goes deeper if you have that relationship with the Son of Man. Second group come along. Look at verse 28. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works of God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this believe in the one he has sent. The second group. Or what you call the legalists. It's what must we do to do the work that God requires. It's all about me and what I'm going to do. You know, it's so much easier, isn't it, to make laws than to build relationships. Jesus says, have a relationship with God. Believe in the one he sent. Have a relationship with himself, with Jesus. But they, they say, well, we want rules. We want What, what, what do we need to do? So we can tick the boxes. I heard some time ago about a pastor in Canada in the winter. Snowed so bad outside, the road was blocked, he couldn't get to church. So he didn't know quite what to do. He was up to to lead the service. And he came up with this novel idea he put on his ice skates and he skated down the river to get to church because it was all frozen over. When he got to church... He was there, and the, the leaders of the church took him aside after the service. And they said, like, uh, where, where's your car? And he said, well, I couldn't get there. It was all blocked, and I couldn't get out the driveway, and it was terrible. So, so I skated down the river, and I got here by skating. And they said, you can't skate on a Sunday. That's work. <laughs> and so they had this meeting, and they, they discussed it. They said, you can't do that on a Sunday. That, that's, not, that's against the rules. You're not allowed to work on a The Sunday is a Sabbath, you keep it holy. And finally one elder came up with a novel idea. He said, well, did you enjoy it? And the pastor said, no, not really, it was hard work. And he said, that's okay then, because if you don't enjoy it, it's not really like work. We'll let you off. That's legalism. That's when we take things and we we just put the rules around it. And we do that all the time. Jesus says, you know the key? The key is not about the doing, but it's about the motivation, the relationship. The relationship is the thing that matters. If we do things out of a relationship, that's one thing. If we do them because we have to do them, that's another. You know, when you grew up, did you have a list of chores you had to do? They're all there, weren't they? Usually printed in the kitchen somewhere or placed on the freezer or the fridge. Your daily chores, washing up, tidying the room, cleaning the dishes, all this kind of thing. Now, did you do them because your overwhelming love for your parents just led you into doing that out of a a generous spirit? No. You did it because it was your turn to do it. You had no choice. You had to get your chores done. And the reality was that you weren't allowed to do a single thing else in your life until that was done. Sorry, mum and dad, if you listen to this later. Scars have gone deep, you know. But that's the reality. You do it because you have to. As Jesus said, that's the wrong motivation. You do things out of a relationship. That's completely different. And he's saying here, you know... You guys are going, what must we do to do the work? Well, if you do it that way around, what's going to happen? You will do certain things and not do other things, just so you can tick a box. But there's no relationship with God. Jesus said, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. So when we have that kind of relationship with Christ, that he asks for us, that he yearns for us, then we automatically do the things he wants us to do because we do it out of love, not out of duty. The legalists didn't like the answer as well. But there was a third group. Look at this. Verse 30. So they asked him again, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives gives life to the world. Sir so they said, From now on, give us this bread. Third group of people you have are the sensationalists. It's unbelievable, isn't it? They said to him, What miraculous sign are you going to give us that we may believe you? Yesterday, he took a couple of fish, a couple of loaves, and he turned and fed 5,000 men. So that's probably 10, 15,000 people. But that was yesterday, and today that's not good enough. Today, God, what kind of sign are you going to give me today? That, I've, I've, that was yesterday's sign. That was, that's God. Forget that one. I want a sign for today. Because yesterday's wasn't enough. That was good for yesterday, but show us something even better today. And these are the kind of people that want that sort of mountaintop experience the whole time. Always has to be bigger and better than yesterday. Always needs to be more. It's the people that kind of say, Lord, if you just bring us a sign, that's all we need. Imagine what would happen at Trinity if, if, you know, if there was a, somebody was, was raised from the dead. Somebody was healed in a miraculous way. What do you think would happen? Well, people would come flocking in here. But why would they come? They'd come because, well, it happened to Bill, so it's, maybe it's going to happen to me. You know? So why don't I come there as well so I can get the same thing that happened there? And they'll come for that very reason of saying, God, I want you to come and do this. Do this for me right now. The church will be full, packed full of people. And as soon as they get what they want, what will happen? They'll be back out the door again until next time. Because they're coming for the wrong reasons. They're not coming because they want a relationship with God. They're not coming because they they want to go deeper in that relationship. They're coming because they want to see something or they want to experience something. And they say, God, okay, that was good yesterday. Now, something today and something more and something more. And that's what the people were like here. Well, you did the, the feeding the other day and you did a bit of healing before that and all these other things. But, hey, we want something today. Give me something more. That's what we want and Jesus said, Uh uh-uh. uh. The bread that comes from God, the one that gives you life, that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 35 I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, as we look at those three different characteristics of those people, can we not see ourselves in each one of them at times? And then at times where, you know, I was talking to another minister the other day, or yesterday afternoon, and I was saying, you know, being in ministry is one of the most frustrating things that you can be in. Because God doesn't give you a magic wand. You get people coming and sitting in the vestry, their marriage is falling apart. And everything within me wants to just get my little magic wand out of the top drawer and wave it and go, You're fixed. Now go away. Go on your way. Or somebody comes in and and they've been really, you know, they've got real difficulties in their life. They've got a sickness. Maybe they've just heard that, that they've got cancer. And I'd love to get my wand out again and just go, you're healed, now go on your way. And I'm going, Lord, why would you put anyone in this role without giving them your magic wand that you could just wave over every single situation, make it all sunshine and beautiful, and just do it? But that's the kind of materialist, isn't it? Saying, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. I want quick fixes. I want shortcuts. I want to just be able to wave the wand and it'll all be okay. Or sometimes we're like the legalist that says, you know what, let's just set a whole load of rules down. It's so much easier. You know, how can we show that we love God? Well, let's just put these rules down. If we do those, then that'll be fine. Let's just tell the people this is what they need to do. It'll be fine. It's so much easier to do that. Than the hard work of building relationships and working together. That takes time and energy and it's difficult. It doesn't always go the way we want it to go. And then there's the sensationalist within us. Lord, why don't you send your spirit down in power like at Pentecost? Why don't you just transform this place? Why don't we see those kind of things? Why don't we see them more and more and more? And so we have that kind of feeling within us. You do it for them, why not do it for me? Why not do it for us? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. What does he mean by that? Well, the Jews would have automatically, the the crowd that were there would have thought immediately, of a number of things. Firstly, that bread is the staple of life, isn't it? What do you get in the old days when you went into prison? You were fed bread and water. That's it. That's all you need for life. Just a crusty little bit of bread. Do you remember those old films where the door, you know, the little window used to open? Or a little plate used to be shoved in across the floor? Crusty bit of bread, little cup of water. That's all you need to live on. And so they would think about that. This is the basic he's talking about. He's not talking about a steak and chips here. He's saying, "I'm the bread of life, the basic for essential that you need for life." But they would have thought back, too, to the Passover meal. Do you remember when the people of Israel had to leave Egypt? What did they bake? Unleavened bread. And every time in the Passover, they they clear out all the yeast during the build-up to Passover and only bake unleavened bread. Why? To remember that they were in too much of a hurry to leave that they could only bake unleavened bread. And they would have recognised that and thought about that because every year they would be remembering the Passover feast. Jesus saying, I'm that kind of nourishment that's going to keep you going. And they remember the power of God and the victory of God when they left Egypt. But also they would remember too the wilderness years. And what did God give them? The bread from heaven, the manna. That they would trust him every single day. And he would bring them that bread that would last. So all that would have been echoing in their minds as he said, I am the bread of life. And so what does it mean for you and for me? Well, firstly, that Jesus is saying here that he is the only one that can give, sustain our spiritual life. That he is there as the source of it all. He is the bread. He's the source. He's the one that we need to tap into if we want that fullness of life. In other words, he's saying, I, I'm going to provide you everything that you need. You need things, you need you want that fullness within you, you want that inner contentment, come to me, because I'm the one that can give it to you. You know, when you've been really hungry, it feels like there's this massive gap in your stomach, doesn't it? This, that's after all the churning and the, the noises have subsided. When, when it's like, oh, I think I need something to eat. And then it feels like there's this, this hole there that needs filling. It's empty. And it's the same in our spirits too. All of us have that hole that's there. That God wants to fill, that God needs to fill. Some people, we, they try and fill it with all kinds of things. But those things will never fill it properly. It only becomes content when it's filled with the spiritual food that comes from Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life. He is the source of that spiritual sustenance. But also, he is the means as well. What do you think Christ's aim is for your life? What is his goal for you? Well, The Bible teaches us that the goal that Christ has for us is spiritual maturity. Christ wants us all to grow up and become mature in Him. That's His goal. That's what He's working for. That doesn't always mean happiness. That doesn't always mean success. His goal in your life and in my life is that we become mature. What were we talking about last time? In Matthew 28. We're to go and make disciples, mature believers of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and training them. What does Jesus do in his ministry? He takes this group of people that know nothing really about God, a very limited amount, have it all mixed up and confused, and he teaches them and trains them. What's What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? He said he's going to remind us of everything. He's going to teach us and train us. Why? To become mature believers. Now how do you get that maturity? Well, you get it through the ups and the downs of life. How do you grow someone? How do you take a little baby and help them to grow up? Do you just surround them in a room and leave them alone, saying, oh, it's too dangerous out there for you guys? No. They go out and they fall over and they come back and they get bruised, and mother's kisses do a wonderful thing because they heal absolutely everything there is going. You know, and then, then they go out and they get bitter and they, they mess it up again, and then they get a broken heart and they come back, and all these things. And they have successes and they have failures, and they grow up and become mature. And it's the same in our spiritual lives with Christ. And He is saying here that He is the bread. He is the means. He provides everything that we need to become spiritually mature. To grow up in Him. Philip Yancey said this. He said, Human beings grow by striving, working, stretching, and in a sense, human nature needs problems more than solutions. Why are not all prayers answered magically and instantly? Why must every convert travel the same tedious path of spiritual discipline? Because persistent prayer and fasting and study and meditation are designed primarily for our sakes, not for God's. Kierkegaard said that Christians reminded him of schoolboys who want to look up the answers to their mass problems at the back of the book rather than work them through. We yearn for shortcuts. But shortcuts usually lead away from growth, not toward it. Apply the principle directly to Job. What was the final result of the testing he went through? As Rabbi Abraham Herschel observed, faith like Job's cannot be shaken because it is the result of having been shaken. That is what Christ wants for you and for me. And he says, I'm not only the source of enabling that to happen. But I am the means as well. I will go on providing for you each step of that journey so that you may attain that level of maturity to which he calls us. And he says, believe in him. Believe him. Believe that he is the bread. Believe that we will never be hungry or thirsty again. I said there were four groups of people, the materialists, the legalists, the sensationalists. There were also the disciples. We looked later on in verse 67. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to leave me too? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. He is our goal. And he longs to take us deeper and deeper into him. Are you willing? Griffith Thomas says this, water never rises above its level. So what we do never rises above what we are. He says we shall never take... People one hair's breadth beyond our own spiritual attainment. We may point to higher things, but we shall only take them as far as we ourselves have gone. As we go through Lent, think about for yourself how far could you take someone in Christ? If a non believer came in today and said, I want to become a Christian. And we assigned you to that person and said, help them to grow mature in Christ. How far could you take them? Let's pray. Lord, you are the bread of life. And you have promised us that we never need to be hungry or thirsty again. Lord, feed us transform us. Mold us and make us that we may become spiritually mature in you. And Lord, if there is anything in our lives, whether that be from a legalist or from materialist or sensationalist point of view, or from some other viewpoint, Lord, whatever it is that's holding us back, we ask that you would remove it so that we may grow and continue to grow immaturity in you. Help us to feed on you the bread of life. And as we eat and as we drink and as we remember, help us to take you deep within us that we may grow into full disciples. To your name and to your glory. Amen.